Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are going back on the recruiting trail, but we're also mixing in a little bit of a preview for the 2023 season. So, a loaded edition of the show here. I'm going to be by myself for the first half. Josh Marlowe will be joining me for the second half as we have a couple of things to go over. First of all, The first weekend of high school football is officially underway for the 2023 season. It's officially in the books, really, as of right now. Uh, There might be some schools throughout the country that are still playing today on Sunday, but uh, it it doesn't look like that is the case anywhere uh, around really the East Coast or really for any of the Toriel's commits in the 2024 class. Everybody's pretty much got – their game in the books to uh, kick off their senior season. So uh, we are, uh, of course, going to have to talk about the performance of Jordan Ship. Uh, I I saw it in person last night, uh, did a little video. I'll go uh, and, you know, that that one I won't really go too in-depth on um, because we do have the article that is up on the website. We do have the video that I did last night as well for some instant reaction. But we'll definitely have to talk about what that performance means for him what it could mean for the Tar Heels just overall. And we got to really just talk about the performances of the wide receivers overall this weekend because they were all fantastic. Uh, started on Thursday night with Keenan Jackson, who, who you know put, was playing for his new school, Weddington High School. Got to see that one in person as well. Actually got to call that game. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about how well he performed. Orioles, of course, land Javarius Green. And that's our other big story that we'll have to talk about here as well is the fact that Carolina now 26 commitments in their 2024 class pretty much means they're they're done. I, I would be shocked if Carolina is going to add anybody else. Uh, but he comes out and starts his season off with a huge win against one of the best teams in the state of South Carolina for Crest High School here in North Carolina. So we'll talk about that uh, as well as uh Alex Taylor getting his senior season off to a really strong start for Grimsley High School as they look to to uh get back to another state championship game so uh a ton of stuff that has been going on in this first weekend of the high school football season and then on the back end of the show as I mentioned Josh will be joining me we're going to take a look at the defensive line for the Tar Heels this upcoming season uh, what does that unit look like? Is there a chance that they can actually get to the quarterback? 
They can win up front for the first time in what feels like years. Um, it just has not been there for where for uh, since Larry Fedora was there, and even towards the end, it really wasn't there. How do the Tar Heels get things figured out up there? Me and Josh are going to tell you about that. But let's start with the commitment of Javarius Green. And this is, you know, another one. This is weirdly enough. You would think, okay, with 25 commitments in the class in the month of August, there's no way that you really had any other needs. And I'm not going to say that it was a dire need for Carolina. I mean, they've still got a lot of talent in that wide receiving core, especially in the slot. But that's where Carolina really needed this one. With everything that's going on with the transfer portal and everything like that, uh, you just really don't know. These days you have to recruit as if there is a chance that you're not going to have the depth at a certain position year in and year out. And so it felt like that was kind of the way that Carolina was preparing for uh, you know this, this class. It's the reason why I think they brought in 26 guys in this class after all the transfers that they saw uh, following this past season. So uh, this was a position that I think Carolina really wanted to reload at. They had to go out and get some transfers this year. We're still awaiting uh, the ruling on the situation from Tez Walker, although they did say uh, the other day, Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports, who is a writer uh, for South Carolina's uh, 24-7 Sports website, he said uh, that he you know, is hearing from multiple sources around the Tar Heel program that uh, the, the Tar Heels are feeling pretty good about their chances to get Tez Walker. More importantly, that the decision could come down within a week. But even if they have him, that means you've got a senior next year uh, when all these guys would be coming in. Uh, you've got some guys that are only going to be there for uh, one more year at, at the position. So uh, Carolina's needing some you know, insurance for the future at the wide receiver position. And so they go out and get a guy uh, that should be able to help them a ton uh, in the slot. This is the type of guy that Carolina wants in the slot. Really, really good route runner. Um, you know, a, a guy that's got really good speed after the catch. Uh, and that's the thing to me that stands out the most about him is that he can absolutely fly uh, when he gets into the open field. Runs a four three nine forty, and every bit of that shows up on his film. Uh, you know, look, combines that speed with – you know, the ability to get to shake off defenders and get loose, a uh, ton of shiftiness with the ball in his hands. Um, and I, I think, you know, just a smart overall player. You look at the way that he runs his routes, a guy that does a great job of settling into the pockets. We heard, you know, Phil Longo, one of those things that I think is just a mindset of modern passing games is especially with how many teams are zone heavy is really just to find grass, find that soft spot in the zone. And he does that so often. Um, I, I think this is a guy that uh, Carolina really, really wanted to add to this class because they're, this is one of the rare classes the last few years, you know, Carolina's got guys like Christian Hamilton. We'll use it as, as an example uh, that's on campus this year from the 2023 class. Now, look, he could play slot. He could also play on the outside. There's, you know, there, there's versatility to him, but he's probably a guy that fits more in the slot. There's a lot of different guys that over the past few years have probably been more slot receiver or more slot based uh, than they are outside receivers. This year, a little bit different. You know, they got three guys that I think are pretty much going to play on the outside no matter what. I'd be shocked if any of those guys are playing in the slot. And so they needed this guy uh, that could sort of be that that technical uh, inside piece at the receiver position. And I think they get him in Javarius Green. Uh, and as I mentioned, 26 commitments now in the class. And it's pretty hard to believe that Carolina is going to go out and, and get anybody else. I, I would be absolutely stunned uh, it, as long as – everybody that is a part of this class stays committed. Now, if they stay committed, that's a whole different conversation. You're going to have to try to figure out, you know, where guys stand. I know, you know, Jordan Ship last night uh, at, in the postgame press conference, uh, you had his quarterback, Jaden Davis, say that they are doing everything to flip him, that he will be a Michigan Wolverine in the end. We know that there are 
a lot of people that are concerned about Alex Taylor being flipped by his high school teammate, Terrell Anderson, who's going to NC State. Um, so I, I think Carolina's got their work cut out for him to keep everybody in this class. You also talk about you know going down into the state of Florida, uh, Davian Gauss, a guy that's a four-star running back prospect right in Miami's backyard. So, look, this staff still has a long way to go. They have to make sure that they are taking care of the guys that are committed in this class and that they are doing everything they possibly can to continue to recruit them. But uh, you have to feel pretty good about where things stand right now. Doesn't seem like there's going to be any glaring positions in need that the team absolutely has to go out and get in the transfer portal unless they just feel like Connor Harrell isn't ready to be their starting quarterback. That would probably be the one spot because of the guy that they're bringing in. And look, Michael Merdinger is a guy that could really start to jump off the page here. It's just, you know, he wasn't a full-time starter last year. He is once again, so maybe he takes off. But that might be the one position that we know heading into the offseason Carolina would have to go out and get. But it really all just depends on, on what ends up happening with Connor Harrell there. But <clears throat> this class has positioned Carolina very, very well. Now, you look at the four receivers in this class. As I mentioned, huge, huge weeks for them in the first week of high school football in this area. We started the other night with Keenan Jackson, seven catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Didn't play the entire game, really only played uh, about two and a half quarters because Weddington just absolutely destroyed Cox Mill. That game was, at one point, was 3 nothing in favor of Cox Mill after an early fumble on a uh, kickoff return. And after that, uh, Weddington would reel off 47 points in about a 23-minute span of game time uh, to take a 47-3 to lead into the locker room. So we didn't see you know a ton of him in the second half, but I still thought he performed very, very well uh, in his first game. That game uh, is on NFHS Network. If you do want to go back and watch that, that's one of the ones that got uploaded real quickly because of the type of event that it was, uh, with it being the Ortho Carolina, uh, the, the Charlotte kickoff night presented by Ortho Carolina. I should know that. I was actually on the call for that game. But, uh, yeah, good performance from him. That's exactly uh, the way that you were hoping uh, it would happen. You talk about uh, Javarius Green, the guy we just talked about on on Friday night. Then he takes on Gaffney, um, one of the best teams in the state of South Carolina. Him and the Crest Chargers take on Gaffney in their place. They pull out the victory. Uh, he only had three catches, but two of them went for a touchdown. He's an electric player, uh, and that, that's exactly what the Tar Heels wanted to see from their newest commit. Uh, so great night for him. Alex Taylor also played that night for Grimsley uh, as they picked up a nice win to start off their season. He only caught two passes, but he did have 27 yards receiving and the one touchdown. Uh, so it wasn't the most productive night for him, but it means that with Jordan Ship's performance, which I'll talk about here in a second, I'll give you a hint, he did score at least once. All four of Carolina's receiving uh, commitments in this class receiver commits in this class, had at least one touchdown in their first week of high school football for their senior year. So how about that? Carolina doing a great job. That that foursome of receivers uh, really, really showing how deadly they can be, and it's going to be exciting once they get on campus. But let's talk about the performance that everybody's going to want to talk about. And when I say everybody, I mean there will be a lot of people nationally that will be talking about this performance from Jordan Ship. Guy's a three-star, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. The more you watch him, you really wonder to yourself, how is this guy not ranked higher? Um, and look, after last night, pretty good chance he might be. Uh, 13 catches, 234 yards, and two touchdowns in an event that was called the Keep Pounding High School Classic in Bank of America Stadium, it was the first ever high school football game played in the home of the Carolina Panthers, and Jordan Ship was dominant from the word go. Um, his his performance is probably one of the best I've ever seen. Going out and watching a prospect 
in person. Uh, you know, the only other ones really that come to mind. I mean, there was one that I went and saw Drake may play in his senior year. That was pretty ridiculous, but I think he only, I don't even know if he got to 400 yards in that game, Caleb hood, I actually wasn't there to scout him in their playoff game that they played against Drake May and uh, and Myers Park, but he had a huge performance in one of their playoff games a few years ago. This, though, to do it on this stage, to do it against one of the best teams in the state of South Carolina and Northwestern, a powerhouse that if you're a big high school football fan in this area, in the Charlotte area, you know that they are one of the best. Uh, it, it was extremely impressive, and he showed the thing that I said when I broke down his uh, commitment uh, and was breaking down his tape. He's a guy that can affect the game at all three levels, and he did it last night. You saw him do it with a couple of short passes in the screen with screenplays, uh, the intermediate passing game that uh, you know ten to fifteen yard area. Uh, he came up with a couple of huge third down conversions for Providence Day throughout the night, and then. His ability to play the deep ball, uh, he did it a ton last night. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people, you know, you go back and watch his film, it's probably not the thing that he uh, is is known for that has gotten him to where he's been right now. Uh, That's really been more of the technical route running um, and really the intermediate passing game more than anything. But, look, we knew the ability to uh, go deep was there. He did it repeatedly last night, made some unbelievable catches. He, uh, you know, the, the, his hands uh, were just phenomenal last night. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that had uh, 13 catches on 17 targets. And, you know, the, the targets that he didn't catch the football on were either, either overthrown. Uh, there was a one that should have been called pass interference that wasn't. Um, and, I, I mean, other than that, he, he caught everything that was thrown his way. Uh, he had two catches that I think will probably stand out the most to people. Actually, there's probably three. Um, the one that, that I think, you know, started it all off and really set him uh, up for a huge night was the catch that he had on, on his first target of the game where he basically falls to the ground. He slips coming out of his break and is on his back. Great throw by Jaden Davis as well. Uh, and he's able to catch it on his back uh, to pick up a first down. And then, you know, later in that first quarter, uh, actually, I think it was early second, uh, he ends up catching a deep ball uh, that his quarterback does a great job of getting out of pressure and really just heaves one up. It was into double coverage when it's all said and done. Northwestern did a good job of breaking on the football, but ship goes up, rips the ball down from in between two defenders and sets his team up for what would eventually be the first score of the game early in the second quarter after neither side scored in the first quarter. And that really set his offense up for a huge night. After that, uh, they scored on uh, six of their final eight drives of the evening, and he was involved in yet another one. His second touchdown of the night uh, was another ball that he had to jump in the air and make a play on. The more impressive thing was, though, uh, he, you know, it, it looked like it was going to be pretty much a routine jump ball. Uh, but as he's making the catch, he gets hit midair. It was an awkward hit, how he got hit, because he had to adjust his body. But he still finds a way to hold on to it. Uh, if you guys haven't seen that, I know Charlotte Sports Live, which was where the game uh, was televised here in the Charlotte area, They on their Twitter feed. Uh, They do have the videos. I did retweet them, so make sure that you guys go and check those out uh, to see that. But this performance, it's it's going to put him on some radars that he may not have been on before last night. I I know there are, you know, he he was offered by a ton of people. Um, Of course, the the biggest threat still remains Michigan. Carolina is going to have to try to fend them off. Um, but that really just shows that, look, Carolina has to continue to recruit their guys because big performances like this are going to catch the eyes of some of these other uh, big-time teams around the country. I would not be shocked if you see some of the other schools in the area, uh, especially some of the ones in the SEC, that really start to turn it up here to see if they if there is any sort of interest in uh, him potentially flipping. So, Uh, That's something that we'll have to keep an eye on. But what a start to his senior year. 
And congratulations to all four of those guys who had promising starts to their senior year uh, in what I think should be, you know, one of really one of the best receiving classes that Carolina has ever brought in. Talked about that on the last edition of the podcast with Zach Hubbard. This group has to rank pretty high up there. Um, I know that, you know, last year's class was really, really talented. Um, there's been a few other ones here in recent years that Carolina has brought in that y- you look at and say, man, there's just talent all over the place. With four different guys that I think this year could probably finish their high school seasons with over a 1,000, I think there's a chance each one of them could probably finish with 1,200 yards depending on how much they're utilized in their offenses. I, I mean, th- this is a special group that Carolina is bringing in. Uh, and Jordan Chip, I, I know Alex Taylor is is an extremely talented player. What we saw from him last night, he may be making a push to be the best of that group of four receivers. So there's your uh, look at the 2024 class, everything going on with it. Make sure you head over to the website, check out, Uh, The article breaking down Jordan Ship's performance. I go even more in-depth than I did right here for you guys in that article with the scouting report that's back. I plan on doing another one now. It'll probably be later in the week, uh, probably like Tuesday, maybe Wednesday before I'm able to get up the one about Keenan Jackson, just trying to balance that uh, with the position previews uh, that we are getting ready for you on the website as well. And speaking of the position previews, Uh, Guys, you know, we've been going through it here on the podcast. Uh, We've been going position group by position group. And, you know, so far we've gotten through the offensive side of the ball. Well, now we're flipping over to the defensive side of the ball. And I know it's a little bit painful to talk about this Tar Heel defense, especially the unit that we're going to talk about right here, the Tar Heel defensive line. But uh, me and Josh, we we said, look, we we got to start out the defensive side of the ball with the defensive line. We think it's the key. Gene Chizik thinks a little bit different. He points to the back end of this defense as being the key. But I think it really depends on this defensive front. So here's a full breakdown of the group that the Tarials will roll out there starting on September 2nd. It's now time to take a look at the defensive line and the edge rushers for the 2023 season. And uh, for the love of God, can this unit please be better than it was a year ago? I, I got to be honest, I don't really think it can get much worse. If it is, I don't want to see how much worse it can actually get. Um, they decided to keep Tim Cross here. We've said multiple times we don't really know why. But he's still here. And you've got the same group of guys pretty much back from last year for Carolina. They do lose Noah Taylor up there, uh, as well as uh, Chris Collins, who entered the transfer portal But Carolina, I mean, this is a group that, frankly, there is just no excuse anymore. There is way too much talent in this room, and it's time for it to start showing up. And if it doesn't, then Carolina is is simply not going to be a good defense yet again this year. I mean, I I don't even know why I'm asking this question. But uh, is this... do you think this is the year? <laughs> um, that I mean, with the whole defense, it, is it? This is the point we're at, right? With the whole defense, and especially this unit, you have to prove it to me before I'm going to actually believe it. Yeah, and it's just, um, mm. you know, I would, I would like to think there's something within this group. There's enough of a competitive fire. There's enough of a give a damn. There's enough of getting pushed around and being bullied and getting manhandled by below offensive linemen like Georgia Tech, but you just don't know. And and and, and until you see it on the field, um, you're really never gonna know. And and that's that's just the reality of the situation right now. That's where Carolina is. And the 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 the, the troubling thing is that this position group. You know, you go back to year one under Mac Brown two point the defensive line, as much as any part of the defense, gave them a fighting chance week in, week out. Despite having, 
next to no depth. I mean, yeah. you had two you had two guys on the interior of your defensive line that played almost every snap. And and since then you've you've brought in dudes and you've you've brought in high 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 recruit highly recruited players. You've added the type of depth you got to have at that position and you you you've taken steps back to the the point to where like you're just talking about a unit that doesn't have a pulse and um you know it's one Which of the, would, what would what would that point to for me come on say yeah. it with me coaching you know it's why we've we've basically just said that Tim Cross needed to be fired and needed to be one of the changes that was made it wasn't made and you're bringing back the same group you're bringing back the same coach why do you expect the results to be any different so that's where we're at with this group is well there's your preview of the position room you know every you're bringing you virtually everybody back you brought the same coaching staff you brought the same coach back not a whole lot of reason to be optimistic this group is going to is going to make an impact up front on that side of the ball and what sucks is there really are guys in this room that i i want to be excited about there are some guys that i think have shown flashes but they lack the consistency. Now, part of that is because they do not have consistent roles. So you went from playing certain guys every single snap that you possibly could to there's certain times where there, there's there's times where Cayman Rucker isn't in the game where I'm like, what are we doing here? Like last year, played 626 snaps. Now, that's the second most among defensive linemen. But especially early in the year, there were times where I asked myself, well, where is he? Where the hell is he? Why is he not in the game? Like, I, at this point, and I looked at it again. I looked at Phil Steele's depth chart right before we had him on. And I looked at the defensive line unit and how he has the starters for that group. Now, Kamen Rucker is listed as the starter at the jack position, him and Amari Gaynor are expected, I guess, to share that position. My thing is, wouldn't it be best if you had Amari Gaynor on the field who's been raved about as a big transfer addition, a guy that is basically going to fill the shoes of Noah Taylor and, and, and Carolina's hoping to really unlock some things with them and they like what he saw in the spring? Wouldn't you want both of those guys on the field? You if would possible? Think. And I get it. I get that Cayman Rucker's a little bit undersized. But okay, even even if even if it's not Cayman Rucker or Amari Gaynor, one of those two guys is going to rotate in. Okay, that's fine. Um then you I I look and I see that Dez Evans is expected to start. Why? Why? Like look, man, if Dez Evans if this wants to be his breakout year, then, for the love of God, let it happen. Please. But I got to be honest. To start the season, if Kamen Rucker is playing the jack position, first of all, you better start him. I know you brought in Gainer, but you better start a guy that last year had seven tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, legend quarterback hurries with 26, and has been the most consistent piece of your defensive front for each of the last two years. And... The guy that better be starting opposite of him at the power end spot, that better be Javari Ritzy, who last year had 48 total tackles, 25 quarterback hurries, and played the most snaps of anybody on the defensive line for you. Like, to me, I, I get it. There are a lot of guys that have to prove themselves here. But, I mean, I, I think... The non-negotiables up front here are Cayman Rucker and Javari Ritzy, right? Those two have to be starters. Yeah, and look, you you gotta you gotta deal with Rucker being a little undersized, just because. Although if he plays the jack position, look at the other looking at the other guys that are in that room, then he would probably be about the size they want to get those guys to. Yeah, because he has the ability to to get in the backfield, make plays. Seven TFL, three and a half sacks, twenty six hurries a year ago, and then Javari Ritzy. I, I really thought last year just did a really good job, just kind of plugging gaps and stuff like that, and, and just being a guy that it felt like whenever Carolina's defense made a play in the backfield, 
he was a big reason why one way or another. So I I, I would definitely say that, that, that that's got to be a guy that a non-negotiable, of course he played the most snaps a year ago at, at nearly uh, 650 of them. When, when it comes to Dez Evans, like the fact that the fact that Phil Steele still slots him as as a starter. Well, keep in mind, Phil Steele does those off of Intel. So basically, from talking to the coaching staff, that's what he believes yeah, is going to happen. It's, it's it's highly problematic. Um, I I have seen, you know, I'm trying to think of a great way to describe how little of an impact Des Evans has made on the football field in his time at Carolina. Mm. Like, I, I, I have seen things in nature cause more disturbance than Des Evans has on the football field. Boy, that 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 example was about as productive <laughs> as he's been so far in like, his starting career. You're talking about a dude that I there's not a there's not a play in his career that stands out. No. I, there's nothing he has done. I'm like, yep, that's a hell of a football player I mean, right look, there. You, all you got to do is look at look at last year's stats. Compare his stats last year to Jacoby Cowens. Now, I get it. You know, he had 25 total tackles, so maybe a little bit more impactful overall. But this is the guy that was supposed to be your stud pass rusher when you landed him back in the 2020 class. And yeah. last year he didn't have a sack. Uh, in 277 snaps. And the problem is is that this is not a guy that's being billed as a rotational piece. This is a guy that keeps going out there and starting every year. He keeps flashing in camp. Well, it's got to translate at some point. Like, I'll say this. If he's going to be involved this year, the leash better be very short. And if he struggles then, hey, we got to start rotating these other guys in because your time's running out here on campus and we've got guys that are further down on the depth chart that are going to produce more than you. So that's that's where they got to be in terms of the edge rushers. I I, I like the fact, if, they're, if, they're, if Kamen Rucker's going to be your primary jack, I like the fact that you can rotate him and Amari Gaynor. I think that's pretty good depth over there. You know, we talked to Logan Robinson, who covers the team for SB Nation, Florida State, that is, that a gainer came from. And he said, he went to high school with them as well, that the edge was where they should have played him all along. That was where he had his, he had his most success when he was at Florida State, which was his first year there as a true freshman. So I, I think that can work out for him. If you got Javari Ritzy starting at the power end spot, I mean, ideally, I think he, I, I would love to see him inside at defensive tackle because that's where I think his biggest impact has been. He got, you know, coming out of high school, his comparison was Jeffrey Simmons, who was a stud in the middle of the Mississippi State defense for years. And I think he fills that similar, similar role, as, as you said, a guy that impacts the running game. Now, I'd like to see him be able to get after the quarterback a little bit more especially if he's playing on that power end spot. But I still think he has a real chance to thrive in that spot. And if Des Evans is the guy that's rotating in behind him, then that's fine. Guy like Bo Atkinson who who flashed in, in, in the spring, maybe he's the guy that's right there waiting if, if Evans doesn't show what he needs to and can jump in there and, and help take over those rotational reps behind him. But that that's that that's got to be what Carolina's looking at this year off the edge. Now on the interior, I mean, I I, I just I, again I don't really know what the answers are here. Like I said, I'd I'd like to see Ritzy play inside there, and they're probably going to do the same thing that they did last year to him, which I I think honestly kind of stunts him a little bit, which is they move him back and forth between tackle and end, pick a spot for the guy. Yes. Let him focus on one of those spots. I like the versatility, but at some point, you you just need to figure out what he is and let him build and go to work there. Now, here's the thing. Last year, huge expectations for Miles Murphy. And he was incredibly silent for the majority of the season. One and a half tackles for loss, one sack, 10 quarterback hurries with what was expected from him. Dare I say, downright pathetic. It's got to be better this year. 
But then outside of him, I mean, Kevin Hester is there. He's a guy that's, I guess, in there to, I don't really know. He's a guy that's better because he he, he plays on passing downs, and he's more productive there. But, I mean, last year he led the team in, in tackles along the defensive front with 49, so he's more involved in the run game. But, I, I mean, I don't – the thing that sucks is I think Kevin Hester is a very good rotational guy. He's a good piece. He should not be your starter there. I looked at the depth chart again that we saw from Phil Steele, and I believe this is honestly the case right now as well for the Tar Heels, how they have it. They do not have Travis Shaw starting. How in the hell do you not have Travis Shaw, who, who has lost the weight that he's needed to, by the way? That's that was his issue last year. Was he was playing overweight? How the hell is that guy not one of your starters? Yeah, I mean it's really problematic giving, you know, his his rating coming out of high school and stuff like that. His ability to really dominate and and and, and what he could do for this defense. I I I like Kevin Hester. I don't love Kevin Hester. If he's a guy that's playing twenty to twenty five snaps on a rotational basis, not going to complain. But, you know, this guy played over 500 snaps a year ago. That's probably about 100, 150 too many. You, you, need, you need Travis Shaw to emerge and be the type of guy that you thought you were getting him on, uh, uh, upon recruiting him because, you know, if, if you've got a very good interior defensive lineman, it's going to be a whole lot harder for you to, to get run on, and that's still something Carolina can't do is stop the run. And it allow other guys, you know, if he, if he's if he's doing what he's supposed to do, it makes everybody else's job on that defensive line that much easier, and it makes it easier for them to get to the quarterback, get off blocks, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, it's it's really it's really mind numbing. Wow, how how they've handled this defensive line position group really since year one. Well, because like to just take Travis Shaw for example. You go back to the bowl game. Was that probably not the best game that he played all year? Yeah, because I'm I try- thought so. I'm trying to think. I mean, I thought was it, was it the Georgia Tech game or maybe it was Pittsburgh? I think he recovered a fumble or something like that. Like mm, I, I like- think you're remembering a different guy. He did not have a fumble recovery. He didn't have a fumble recovery. He had a, now he had a couple pass deflections as well, which he had two pass deflections. The rest of the group had two pass deflections combined all last year, which is a problem. But he's a guy, he's a smart player. Last year, his biggest issue was that he came in overweight. And that was because before his senior year, and remember, what they did was they played in the spring the year before because of COVID. They won a state title. He had to go out for shoulder surgery after that. He then has to turn around and play in the fall. He missed some games early in the season, recovering from it, and came in a little overweight because he was, you know, because of the recovery from that, and wasn't able to really get that weight off in time to be able to play a significant role for Carolina last year. But here's the thing: I thought at the end of the year he started to show more signs, and maybe I'm overreacting to this. Maybe maybe he is going to play a significant role, even if he doesn't start the first game. And he's a guy, he's still, even when he is at the weight that he needs to be, this ain't a dude that's playing as much as Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge did for you. Right. He's too big. Like, you got to rotate him in and out. But, like, this dude needs to be featured on your defensive line. And I thought at the end of the year last year, you started to see it. The one thing that I noticed about him every time he was out there, this dude plays a high motor every single time. There's sometimes with some of these guys here, you kind of question whether they're playing 100%. There's certain guys that I know are, like Rucker. That's why I want him in there. But And Ritzy. There's there's other guys at times that you really do wonder, do they take players plays off? And maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not. But... A guy like Travis Shaw, you you need him, especially with, as you mentioned, him being a five-star, him being a top-ten prospect in the country in his recruiting class. He's got to be that dude. Now, the one guy that I also think helps this group is Tamari Fox. Talk about a guy. He's, he's going to probably be used very similar to how Javari Ritzy is going to be used. They could probably play him a little bit at the power end spot. I think 
they'll probably play him more on the interior of that defensive line. And, you know, look, he 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 was one of the better guys down on that defensive front in the spring game. I thought he played really, really well. I think he's a guy that a lot of people probably forgot about him after he was suspended last year for a banned substance that was in his locker before the season started. But he's a guy that, again, if Carolina's going to take a step forward, Tamari Fox probably has to be involved in them doing that. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely don't. I definitely don't disagree with that. You're talking about a guy that it feels like he's been around the program for quite some time. Um, you, you know, he's got he's got experience and stuff like that, and um, you know, ha- has the ability to be productive. I think in an ideal world, like you, f- you figure out with him what he wants to do best. You figure out with Ritzy with the, what they're going to do best. I think that's the thing is you got to simplify these guys' roles and their jobs and what their responsibilities are and let them just go out there and play. It feels like because they're, they're doing so much, you know, changing and switching and all this type of stuff, they're having to process a lot of crap as opposed to just going out there and having two to three things to keep their minds on and go out there and play. And, and so I think, you know, if, if, if you can get that kind of figured out, I, I think you could see – more production from this group because, you know, you've been a lot more higher on their talent. Like, you know, I, recruiting is a farce. Like, it, it doesn't really mean anything once you get to college. Kind of all goes out the window. Well, the, the best teams in the country recruit. Uh, like, if you're going to play in the college football playoff, you've got to have a consistent top ten recruiting class. You know, but the thing is, is like we with this with this with these guys, like you see the ability because it, it, it'll flash. They'll put it on display for a, a a play or two or a series or whatever. It hasn't been consistent. It all needs to come together. And if it does that, I think they've got enough of the right talent, the right depth, and the right experience to be marginally better than what you've been the last three years. And with the with with the with the linebacking duo you've got, if these guys up front do their job. Power Eccles and Sed Gray are going to do theirs, and and Carolina's defense could still give up 400 yards a game and can still give up 24 points per game. But that's still going to be enough for you every weekend to have a chance to win. But they're not, but this this is the thing. They're not going to give up that many yards if your defensive line and we're real your defensive front is better. It's just that simple. Like if you're able to get after the quarterback if you're able to create havoc plays up front, like that's the thing. Carolina's, I mean, their pressure rate last year, historically bad. Their sack rate, historically bad. Like, it just, you're you're talking about being in the 120s in the country. There are 100, there, last year, there were 131 teams in power conference football. Like, how is that possible that you're that bad with this much talent? And again, the talent the talent is there. Recruiting, look, yeah, you, you could say whatever you want that it's a far. Recruiting, when you get on campus, God, everybody is pretty much a blank slate. Like, nobody, but when you get on campus, nobody cares what your star rating is. That's true. But in order to be a really good football program, you have to recruit at the highest level. Well, I'll be damned if the last few years, this hasn't been probably the most talented group that you've assembled with everybody that you've brought in in recruiting. But the problem is, they're not being developed right. The other issue is, there's never been new ideas in this room. Now, hopefully that changes this year. They brought in Ted Monachino as an assistant. He comes from the NFL level. He's coached at the college level. Hell, he coached the most successful pass rusher in the history of college football in Terrell Suggs. So, yeah, there better be some changes in this room. Like, it better not be the same crap that they've been doing for all these years of, hey, we're we're, we're just going to put four guys out there and tell them go forward. Really? That's pathetic. We've said it multiple times. You've got to get creative up front. You've got to run stunts. This is what you need to see from this unit because 
The guys are there. I'll be damned, especially on the interior of that group. I just told you about all the guys they had there. Kedrick Bingley-Jones now finally healthy. He'll be a part of that group as well. And then, you know, you go to the edge, and, and I get it. You know, the edge rushers, there's some concern about the depth of that unit, but there's talent there. Look at this past year's class. You bring in Tyler Thompson, who's a true freshman. Jabron Harvey, you flashed in the spring game, true freshman. Now, they both have to put on some size. But again, they're talented guys. Thing is, you have to wonder in the back of your head, are you wasting these guys? You know, Jacoby Cowan, rotational guy for Carolina, played 200 snaps last year. You'd probably like to see him play a little bit less than that this year unless he's going to take a step forward. But at times, I mean, you got to the point last year where you had to play him on the edge because he was your best option out of the guys that were there. So we'll see. Malachi Hamrick... Uh, another guy that Carolina has on the edge, he is out for the season. That uh, was an injury that was suffered very early uh, in spring practice. Uh, Mac Brown said at the time they expected him to be out for the season and nothing has uh, really countered that. So the expectation is that he will miss the entire 2023 season. The walk-ons in the unit, Colby Doreen, uh, the edge rusher, and then on the interior of the group, Cody Kovacevic uh, will uh, round out that group. I mean, with this with this group, I mean, what what do you consider a successful year? I saw somebody that said if that if this group can rank, you know, in the mid seventies in some of these percentage categories, if they, if they can find a way to get twenty five sacks, you'd probably be satisfied. I mean, it, to me, that's that's all I'm asking. Again, I said it with the offensive line room. Can this unit be average? Like, if you at this point, I'm begging you. Can you be slightly below average? Can you do that? Can yeah. you be me as a human, slightly below average? Yeah, like if that you, would work. If they could be a top seventy-five unit, I don't think you could complain. I don't know if it's enough. To get them back to the ACC title game, I think you got probably be a top fifty-ish unit. But if you're top seventy-five, I, I still think Carolina's playing for something in November, and that's all. That's all we're asking for this year, because I don't think it's realistic to 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 expect Carolina to go back to back with no more divisions and with the reemergence of Florida State. But you've got enough pieces to where if guys take a step forward, that it is possible. And this is one of those positions that 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 they've got to they've got to take a a pretty big step forward to give Carolina a chance to get back to Charlotte. So there is your look at the Tar Heel defensive line group for this season, guys. Make sure you head over to the website, check it out. We're going to have the article up there uh, later on this evening that'll break it down even further, go more in depth on the guys that are a part of that unit. And look, the talent is there for this group. I know Josh is a little down on these guys saying, look, a lot of these guys may have been overrated coming out of high school. And, hey, that might be true. But even if they are, this is a group that coming into last year, we said this is probably the most talented, purely talented group and and the deepest group as well on this team. And you're talking about the group that we just talked about a little while ago, the wide receiving core, which, by the way, even before they bring in these four receivers in the 2024 class, is in really, really good shape talent and depth-wise. Tight end position, you look at the three guys that Carolina has there that are pretty much considered starters, but this is probably the group that is the deepest. This is probably the group that has the most pure, raw talent. Carolina's got to get more from this group this season. And hopefully the addition of Ted Monachino alongside Tim Cross and, you know, a little more aggressiveness from Gene Chizik can allow this uh, defensive front to thrive a little bit more this year. We're going to continue rolling on with those position previews both here on the podcast and on the website. We're also going to get to the breakout players, the bold predictions for this upcoming season on both fronts as well. And then, of course, we will be getting you ready for the first game of the season with the preview and the recap. The stock report is back this year. Uh, I'm going to see if 
I, I may give up the stock report duties this year because I know uh, that our guy Ashton Marlowe, the brother of Josh Marlowe, uh, who wrote last year, did a really good job covering the Mac Brown press conferences. He, he was interested in taking that over last year. I said, ah, let me, you know, let's hold off on that. Let's see. You know, that was something that uh, I, I really like to do. But uh, I, I think I might give him give him a shot at that one this year and, and see what he's got how to handle that, give him a, you know, a little more of an, uh, an analysis role when he writes the articles as opposed to just having to break down those press conferences. But, of course, we're breaking down the press conferences for you guys. I know uh, the last uh, two days of players uh, I wasn't able to get to, and right now I, I just don't think I'm going to be able to get to those, unfortunately, because of all the other stuff that we're talking about here uh, on the Toriel football front, but uh, I am going to have you covered. Any other news that comes out of fall camp for the Tar Heels, any press conferences from Mac Brown or the coordinators, I will have you covered with that uh, over there on the website. Meanwhile, the basketball side of things, uh, it's you know kind of hit that dead period before this team gets ready for practice. We did have uh, the blue and white scrimmage officially announced. That is going to take place on September 9th after the Tar Heels game against the App State Mountaineers. That is a home opener, of course, for Tar Heel football. After that, you can then go and see the basketball team play. I know tickets are on sale. Uh, GoHeels.com, as well as the basketball Twitter page or social media pages overall, uh, have more information on that. So I'll make sure that you guys are checking all of that out. Uh, And Josh will be having – he's going to have you covered the entire basketball season uh, over on the website at HeelToughLog.com. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Torians. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.